Ira, two days in a row. Take it away, I guess. Welcome to League One Fun, presented by the Beautiful Game Network and brought to you by Roughneck Scarves and Golden Goal Press. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. I'm Ira Jersey, and that voice you heard was a man who I talked to just yesterday, Jason, who's currently leading in the polls. We did our mid-season all-star game draft team, and he is currently winning about 65 to 35. I need you peeps to understand that we're trying to score a lot of goals. My team would win 7 to 5, I think, uh, if, if it actually played. Against uh, Orlando? I, uh, I, I think so, too. <laughs> Fair enough. So, uh, Jason, uh, you can find that. We're having a Twitter poll. It'll be open until what time on Thursday, Jason? Uh, tomorrow, to like tomorrow till 5. So Thursday until the close of business East Coast time, so 5 p.m. Uh, New York time. Um, unfortunately, I have to bring things down a little bit, Jason, because yesterday, right before we recorded that, um, that particular show, we received some bad news. Uh, it turns out that a, a member of the Richmond Kickers community, ch- coach Charlie Sl- Slagle, who was a longtime soccer coach, and he was for 21 years the coach of Davidson College. He actually was the coach that that who, who coached the ownership group of the Richmond Kickers while they were in school and brought them all the way up to the semifinals of the College Cup back in the early 90s. A real legend in the soccer community. He was the coach, uh, the president of United Soccer Coaches. I had the pleasure of shaking his hand once. I can't say that I knew him, but he was a, uh, by all accounts, a wonderful person, great soccer fanatic. Elliot from River City 93 mentioned to Jason and I yesterday that he was working with him on a number of things, fan experiences and, and community engagement stuff, which is what his role was at the Richmond Kickers. But uh, he was just an amazing gentleman. And Jason, do you have anything to add about uh uh, for our condolences to this uh, th- this legend, really of U.S. soccer. Yeah, no, you know, no matter what's going on on the field, you can see year after year that Richmond Kickers have one of the best communities in U.S. soccer, and this is why. And so, my thoughts and prayers go out to them at this time for that loss because it is a big loss, not just for their team, but for soccer and for multiple people in this country. I think it was really cool that. Uh, Elliot mentioned that Matt Spear, the president of the Richmond Kickers, actually called him personally to tell Elliot the news because Elliot had been working so closely with uh, um, with Coach Charlie. And that gives so, you an idea of just how close, you know, that family is in Richmond. Yeah, for sure. So our condolences to everyone, and uh, I, I hope that everyone else in uh, U.S. League One and the broader soccer community will join us in uh, in wishing them uh, wishing them well during this uh, time of loss. Um, to move on to other, uh, a little bit cheerier news in general, um, Forward Madison signed two new players this past week, both on loan from Memphis 901 FC, uh, 24-year-old left-footed midfielder and Wisconsin native Lewis Bennett, uh, and also 24-year-old forward Oliver White. Uh, Daryl Shore, the coach of Forward Madison, noted that they would mainly be depth players, but he did expect them both to have uh, impacts right away. Um you know, any, any thoughts on these signings uh, here, Jason? Yeah, so the, the one that stands – well, both of them stand out to me for two different reasons. Um, so I think Louis Bennett is definitely one of the players that kind of fits the scheme that they have, a midfielder that can also score and can also be, you know, put in different positions, whether he be on the wing. Um, so it looks like they're going all in on this attacking midfielder scheme that they've got going on. 
Um, his dad was actually, or I think is still currently the head coach at Marquette. So I think that's how that connection happened. Um, you know, it's always good to have a team that's so embedded into their own community like Ford to be able to bring in another Wisconsin native. Um, and then the other reason that, you know, I, it's, it's interesting to me to see a Ford on there. So listening to, uh, you know, Coach Shore talk about him, he said that he is a fast player, uh, has that pace and has a very high soccer IQ and makes those runs, you know, in between defenders. And I'm wondering if this depth has anything to do with Mason Toy, just because we haven't seen Mason Toy in a while. And I don't know if that's Minnesota saying, hey, we need him on the bench every week. I know there's been a lot of double game weeks in MLS on top of U.S. Open Cup. So maybe that's something to where we say, hey, we can't wait on Mason Toy forever. Let's go ahead and get some depth up there just in case our guys start getting tired. Uh, great. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, there could be interesting signings. I look forward to seeing them uh, get on the pitch and uh, integrate into that system. They, Forward's really been on a decent run in, in the month of June and, and uh, you know, has an outside chance here of making the playoffs. There's, there's still, and we'll talk about this later, how tight really uh, packed really three through, uh, three through eight really are right now. Yeah. Um, so two players were released uh, this past week from uh, from from different teams. Jeff um, Michaud uh, was released from Forward, and Ricky Espin was released from Lansing. Um, per club policy, we do not disclose the nature of the violation for which this is an eternal matter. Said uh, Forward Madison in their press release, and uh, Coach Shore said the team rules were violated for for something. Yeah. Uh, Lansing said uh, Ricky Espin and the team mutually parted ways, uh, and you, you know, is did do you have any other color on this? I know that um, that that there might be other development yeah. in so, this situation. So Coach Shore went on. Let me be Ford. Um, for Madison's podcast and they asked him about it and that's basically when he said hey you know we're not going to talk about it but he confirmed that um, you know Jeff broke a team rule and because he broke a team rule was you know best suited to release him and I think the Ricky Espen thing's a little different Um, you know we probably won't know why but it was a mutual release and as soon as he got released or maybe right before he had tweeted a picture of an airplane with a soccer ball and a description that said something like two, two weeks or three weeks away, or he had a certain amount, I think it was like 18 days away. Um, so that might be a sign that he's signing with somebody else, right? It might be something to where he didn't feel like he was getting enough out of Lansing and Lansing didn't think that he, they, he fit their system. And so he probably was looking for another team, got the deal and, you know, because they have a good relationship, mutually parted ways, um, you know, and like I said, I don't think it has anything to do with his performance because even though he only shot the ball four times, he scored three times when he shot it. So um, it, it might just be a system thing, right? He played a good amount of minutes, but because of the system and because they're pressing, they're more fast paced, you know, with him being a bigger guy, um, you know, Alex Bruce just kind of fits that system better. Um, Pato fits that system better. So, um, yeah, hopefully it's just a mutual depart for both of them and it both works out for both teams. We'll have to look out because if he's going on trial or he's going to sign somewhere else, maybe he's going for a physical, something like that. Um, It is preseason over in Europe, so it's completely possible that maybe he'll end up, you know, in a Dutch league or, or, you know, the lower tier somewhere in uh, in in Germany, perhaps. So it'll we'll have to look out for where Ricky uh, ends up, and we wish him the best. 
Uh, also, you know, Jason, this is something you noticed, and that was that FC Tucson has someone going up to a uh, to a U23 national team. Yes, and this is what I love about this league. Like, I want to see these young players get the opportunities that they probably would not have had had they were not playing consistent minutes or not playing in a professional league. So FC Tucson's Raheem Somersault, he received the call up to St. Kitts U23 team. Um, and this is this is big because, you know, with the recent League of Nations and the Gold Cup, you see how Curacao did, you see how Bermuda did. You know, you have these teams and these small Caribbean island teams that are kind of having that pendulum swing their way. And there's a lot more excitement and there's a lot more dedication. When you watch that uh, Guyana playing game, they, it was, it was just stressful and dedication from, from those players. And so uh, if you go on FC Tucson's Twitter, you can see Raheem talking about it a little bit, you know, St. Kitts just missed out on the gold cup. I think it came down to their last, their last league nations game. Um, and so for him to know that that team is on the uprise and they're right there and he has a chance to play in the gold cup and get more exposure and move up into, you know, to different leagues, uh, this is a big deal for him. And I think this is what we want to see for a lot of players in this league. This is something that I think is really cool and shows the benefits of being in league one and why this league exists. It's really interesting that, you know, U.S. soccer, I was listening to the Total Soccer Show today and they were talking about Copa America. And one of the things is even countries like Venezuela, which you would think, you know, a large population country with a, a soccer culture, they don't have a domestic league and they don't export a lot of players to Europe. And uh, so a lot of their players have come and played in MLS and and uh, and then also in the USL Championship. So, you know, League One, I think as it grows, you'll see more of these international type players from smaller countries or countries where they're not quite as developed in terms of infrastructure or their federations are small. I mean, yeah, yeah like you mentioned, I mean, I was at the, uh, the Bermuda match up at Red Bull Arena and the, you know, Bermuda is only 65,000 people. So they, you know, they, they can only go so far in their domestic leagues. They wind up going over to uh, the UK or coming to the US, uh, a lot of those players and a number of them um, and, had, have spent time here. And the difference is some of those Caribbean nations have that European ties, right? So they can, they have- well, right, like Curacao. Right. right. Like, well, you half, like, of them, half of them play in Holland, right? Yeah, and then you have Haiti, right? Who have French players who can do dual citizenship. Guyana has a couple English players that have a Guyanese background. But so, yeah, this is an easier outlet, right? Because those are the best of the best. And you look at USL Championship, what's the largest demographic in the USL Championship? Caribbean players. Makes perfect sense. Okay, so on to a little bit of other news. The FC Dallas U19s are on their way to the Development Academy Cup. The finals for the U.S. Soccer Federation Development Academy will be during the week of the uh, MLS All-Star break at, down in Orlando. So uh, for a couple of players, it'll actually be kind of a, a home team. But this is both the girls and the boys Development Academy finals for uh, for the various age groups will be there. All six, uh, um, all six finals will be there. Importantly for North Texas is that Tanner Tessman played almost every minute of the DA uh, tournament out in California. That's why he missed a few games. He was back this past weekend. Yeah, and, then, North and, Texas. and then was a beast this weekend. So yeah, 100% a beast. So, that kid's um, got tons of energy. But he might miss another match because of the DA Cup. So, um, you know, good on good on Tanner doing double duty. Um, you know, quite frankly, it's almost unfair, right, that you have a, a, a League One professional player get, playing a ton of minutes. I mean, can you imagine if Ricardo Pepe was playing for that team? You know, so, yeah. um, or uh, I think there's a couple of other players who obviously um, are, are uh, 
qualify as well. Uh, and then finally, just uh, just as a, as a note, not a huge surprise, also staying on this North Texas thing, is that uh, Ronaldo Davis was named the League One Player of the Week. Yeah. Uh, maybe we can – normally we talk about this toward the end of the, the show, but we have something else to talk about with, yeah. today. Um, you know, I think that he had a good game. Obviously, he, you know, scored a scored a, a great goal, um, game-winning goal as well, right, if, if memory serves. Um, uh, I, I didn't know that. I just watched like, the match. It was, it was a dagger. Oh, that's right. That was the, that was the third goal. Um, but he was also was responsible for the first goal, and we'll talk yep. about that more when we talk about the game. Um, yep, I don't have a problem sure. with it. You could have gave it to Arturo, who yeah. had a beast of a game last game, and then even the game before where they lost 4-1. Uh, to one. Um, are you know they still performed well so um yeah i have no problem with it fair enough yeah i was thinking gomez too my front also north texas but basically north texas had a very good game so someone yeah. was gonna, <laughs> someone from that team was probably going to get it okay shall we get into results jason let's do it all right so friday night was actually the second match because we reviewed one match last week was the second match of week 14 halfway through the season it was Toronto FC two scored one goal versus whoa, forward. Whoa. I'm gonna have to stop you though. Yeah. Was it Friday night or was it Friday? Friday afternoon at four o'clock because right. that's the only time we play at Toronto. I'm just Friday, saying Friday, Friday evening. Friday you know. Friday at four. You know, get that <laughs> pre-dinner meal going. Well, it, it they did not have to turn on the lights. <laughs> actually, I was looking at that pitch during the during the match when I was watching this match. Do they actually have lights on that field? I don't so, know if they. Dude. Shout out to the Canadian soccer dude. He had tweeted me a while ago and had mentioned that's why they play early is either that they don't have the lights or right now they're doing work on the lights. And because of that, they can't play into the night. Yeah. Without. I didn't notice. I didn't notice the poles on the far side of the pitch where the, uh, where yep. the cameras were facing. So maybe there are lights behind, but if there's not lights on both sides, you get weird shadows. And, yep. And, and I think that's the issue. Don't really want to, in that in those conditions so maybe that's the reason maybe we're giving him a hard time for nothing yeah listen i like the four o'clock games <laughs> i different. i like the replays of the four o'clock games yeah can you do it in toronto on a friday on a four o'clock night can, yeah. that's, that's the new league one version of stoke on a rainy wednesday well the thing they, i don't know if it would have to be at four i mean they're in toronto they're far north more north than that's, here that's the tradition now it's gotta be four you gotta be four you got it okay but uh anyway so it was one one the scoring started right at the end of the first half with uh my my striker from my all-star team mr perusa uh scoring a goal this was a uh this was a this was a really fun goal so um so, uh, so, so the center back for Toronto, uh, Mr. West, gets the ball about 20 yards into his attacking half. He slows it down. Um, Perusa actually checks back to the ball. West gets Perusa the ball. Perusa just flicks it over to Gideon Waja, and Waja just one times it back to him. Actually, the the pass from Perusa wasn't great, so Waja actually did a great job just to get his laces on it and get the ball back to Perusa, who had then beaten two defenders. He was. Uh, uh, not exactly one-on-one with the keeper, but he was just inside the 18, shoots it one time with his left foot, um, volleys it right into uh, right pa- uh, to the lower right of the goal past Silvestre, and it was then one nothing going into the break. Um, Jason, th- this first half was – it was until that moment, I wasn't sure if either team really w- was – was going after it, right? It wasn't the the high energy power, high power first half that you know I'm kind of used to now from forward Madison, especially. Yeah. 
Um, first, yeah, and, and Toronto loves scoring at the end of the first half. So this is, like, I think, the third game in a row where they've scored at the end of the first half. So that's something that teams need to take note of. And I don't know if they just wait and conserve their energy. But this was an interesting first half because even though Ford only really had two key passes in the first half, they had the best chance. And if it wasn't for a double save by Kevin Silva in the 33rd minute, who had probably three incredible saves this game. So shout out to the, the Bethlehem native Pennsylvania. What's up? Um, he, uh, he stood on his head and, you know, allowed for Toronto to not have to chase a lead because Ford, I think had the best two chances in the first half before, you know, Perusa came in and Toronto had five key passes, but outside of that Perusa one, there was probably only one other that was a really, really good look at goal. So it was an interesting first half. I think, they turned it around in the second half, and that's when Ford really started going at it. And you saw, um, you know, Tariq Muhammad had to, you know, come in and make an immediate impact. But yeah, let's let's get. We're talking about the second half. Let's get into it. So yeah, so so, so the second half. I think I feel like both teams came out of the second half a little bit differently than the first, where Ford in particular just wanted to play with more energy. I mean, that's, that's what it seemed like to me. So they were definitely moving the ball faster. It it, it the pace was much different in the second half than than the first. Yep. Um, there were a couple of chances both ways. You know, there were there were a lot of tackles. I mean, both teams just thinking, just looking at some of the statistics for this both teams had over 450 passes I mean both teams had the ball a lot and were connecting very short passes little one twos and a lot of those were in the second half a majority of them were in, were in the second half actually but so, you know you know what the difference was for Ford in the second half right do you know Carter Manley uh, again he doesn't show up on the stat sheets him overlapping is so important so Car- Carter comes on and immediately starts doing that and immediately starts creating chances. I think he had three chances created in the second half. Um, he Silva comes up with a tremendous save on Tenario after Don Smart sends in another cross that comes in from Manly, and then they did the exact same play maybe three minutes later, and except this time, Tenario finishes it. Yeah, yeah, and all that stems from Manly's overlapping, and because of that, he gets space. So when he gets space, when the defenders are giving him space because they know he's going to move up, he has these passes down the line and he hits Don Smart in stride. So now Smart has a good one-on-one situation and has room to cross because he doesn't have to come back and get the ball. And that's why I'm saying Manley is a difference maker when it comes to them. You know, Don Smart, as amazing as he's been, I don't know if he gets to have all the service into the box that he does if it's not for those passes from Manley to hit him in stride down the side. Yeah, so so you know that what's interesting about that whole play that led to the goal and and the two or three other chances that occurred before it was was for one thing you know you know that Don Smart you know Don Smart is you know a, a great player and you know I'm happy that he's on my All Star team and not yours. Wow, but this is what we're doing he, on the show. Okay, all yeah, right, no, all right. Okay. <laughs> I'm kidding. He, he was the only one that that you would really lament. Come on. Um, but but the fact is is that forward has been attacking much more down its left side and like Paolo Jr. did not have a great night right that's one of the reasons he came out in the seventy fifth minute he tried right so he was trying things but a lot of the stuff that he was trying didn't come off I think that they um, you know the, Toronto's left uh, the, Toronto's right side just figured out how to cover and take. Paolo Jr. out of the game. So that's why when, when Danny Tenorio came in, he was like that spark and he kept on making those far post runs that, you know, which is very similar to what Paolo Jr. has been doing most of the season. And Don Smart, you know, was able to, to, to find him. You know, interestingly, on that goal, there was no assist because Silvo gets his hands on it, right? Yeah, I think Silvo tips uh, it. 
That's what yeah. So Silva tipped it. Silva tipped it. That's yeah. why he didn't get the assist. But right. it, it falls to Tenorio, and then Tenorio scores. Yeah. yeah, that's what it was. That's what it was. Toronto, by the way, was not offside at all in this game. And meanwhile, oh. forward <laughs> was offside eleven times, mostly in the second half. Just showing but, you how much they were pressing but, for a goal. Funny you bring this up. Um, so I had this in my notes, and then I also got a tweet, a uh, question from I believe it was from the Canadian soccer dude, a uh, friend of the podcast. And he asked, uh, what do I feel about Toronto home field offside advantage or what's going on with the offside at home? So to give you guys an idea of what we're talking about, Toronto have now won the offside battle at home with opponents having 40 offside calls and Toronto only having three, <laughs> which is I, I did I did not know that. Which is that is amazing. Wild. That is a wild statistic. You talk about home field advantage, and I don't know if teams just because it's the first time they're playing there. I don't get it. I don't know if 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 you know, like Toronto is just the These best Canadian, the Canadian team referees. Yeah, yeah, and, that, and maybe that's what he's bringing up, right? Like we need to go and maybe we need to do some investigative journalism and see, you know, Toronto are they are they TFC Academy referees? What's what's going on with it? Because forty to three is absolutely insane. Yeah, yeah. So I'd be curious to know what the uh, what what it is. Otherwise, I mean, it could just be that TFC is not offside a lot at all, right? So it could could be, and they do play a relatively high line, right? So it's yeah. not not surprising that other teams get called for a lot of offsides against them. But you know, not having a single offside or two is just pretty uh, is pretty amazing. Um, um, I, I mean, one one of the reasons for that, you know, for sure, is that they don't play a lot. You know, TFC doesn't play a lot in the wing play, right? So it's yeah. not like you know they're always trying to play through instead of trying to. To go to the wings and then and then cross the ball in. So you don't have people trying to get in behind all the time in the same way that other teams uh, attempt to do that. So th- that that could be one of the reasons. Yeah, but uh, and then one, before we go, two quick shout outs. Uh, Silvestre had a huge game winning save in the 85th minute. He made a quick decision to go off his line, and that's the difference between good keepers and great keepers. Because had he had hesitated and stayed on his line, it would have been an easy open shot uh, for Toronto. And- and they would have scored late like they love doing um, and would have won at home. So I think it's an important point for Ford. Ford has a lot, like I said a couple, you know, last show, Ford's schedule is ridiculous for the next four or five games. So for them to pick up a point on the road to a place where no team has won yet, I think that's a that's an important win for them. And then uh, you know, shout out to Don Smart. I'm giving I'm gonna give him the assist, even though the keeper got a tip. But you know what the better assist was? was my man Bunk Anderson tying the goalkeeper's shoe. Love it <laughs> from every goalkeeper in the world coming from me. Thank you, Bunk Anderson. It is much appreciated. Because <laughs> so many times I've just had to put my tuck my shoelace under my shoe and hope for the best. And so, so Bunk Anderson scores headed goals on uh, on set pieces and knows how to tie shoes. Yes, love uh, it. Those, those are two things that we know about. Uh, okay, <laughs> moving on. Uh, the next match was Orlando City B zero versus Greenville Triumph two, and uh, this was between. There were probably as many uh, birds flying around as there were attendants. There was 144 people in attendance in this one. Which is a good thing because Orlando played trash. Yeah, it was not particularly good. Orlando had, you know, this is this is your 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 favorite stat, I know, but Orlando had 58% of the ball. Don't matter. And, and guess how many shots on net they had? Zero. That's correct. So, um, you know, they were they took had four total shots, fifty eight percent possession. They were offside three times. They connected five hundred and twelve passes. 
but it didn't matter because Greenville said, here, you have the ball. When we have it, we're going to be efficient. We're going to be clinical. And uh, in the 41st minute, um, Jake Keegan ends up getting the ball to uh, to Cameron Saul. Actually, this was a quite a nice move. I mean, this was yeah. not – uh, th this was this was basically efficient possession by Greenville. Um, so the, the, you know OCB. This has been OCB's problem the whole time. Like even when they were scoring a lot of goals, which they haven't been the last couple of weeks, but when they were scoring a lot of goals, they kept on letting in a ton. And it's their uh, it's really their uh, in general their defensive discipline that's being that's being a problem. So when you w watch this goal, go back and watch the replay on U on um, USLLeague1.com. And what, watch what three defenders do. All they do is pivot with the ball and try and chase the ball. I mean, instead of staying on a, staying on their man, letting the guy who's closer uh, close down the ball. So what happens is Bermudez gets the ball. So Gomez gets a, just a great uh, – get, gets the ball on the outside, gets the ball to Bermudez who makes an end-line run. Bermudez cuts it back, and then I don't know exactly how um, – uh, how Saul did this, but he got the ball and turned while there were three defenders on him. So he just screened the ball. But the fact that he received it in the in all of that traffic was pretty impressive in and of itself. He gets the ball back to uh, remind me who he passed it back to. Oh, he passed it back to Muhammad, mm -hmm. and then Muhammad squared the ball to a wide open Jake Keegan, the guy who scored two goals in the previous game, and you know is the leading scorer on the team, is left wide open at the far post. Um, Gomez gets good. the ball. Yeah, not go good at all. But Keegan can't Keegan can't shoot, right? Because the goalkeeper does a really good job to to move over and and cut off the angle. But then, uh, but then Keegan very smartly just um, just hits it hard and low back across goal, right, right across the uh, six yard box, and Saul's there for the tap in. And you know, quite that that's all they would have needed. Um, they scored much later on, but but ultimately, like this was a great. Uh, a great sense of the uh, spell of possession for Greenville. Terrible, terrible defending from OCB. What, what, what can OCB do at this point? Do you think, Jason, to you know, kind of get any points? And do you think that that their experiment uh, going back into USL, uh, having a USL team, is working? Uh, so this this game was just very bad from the start. Orlando, I think this is like an off game. I know they're already not a great team, but. This was just I, – I haven't seen them play like this since the beginning of the season. They just weren't cohesive. They had one key pass in the first half. Um, and it wasn't like – like you were saying, they were just passing the ball endlessly, just passing it. It wasn't like Greenville was pressing. Greenville only had four interceptions the whole game. So it's not like Orlando would get in the midfield and Greenville was pressing and winning the ball. Greenville just kind of let them do whatever they wanted to do. And Orlando just wasn't able to create chances. And I think that's their thing, right? If Souza and Simeon and those guys just don't get down the wing and, and beat you with speed, there's no real creativity in that midfield. And I think that's what they're really missing at right now. And I don't like this experiment to where they're playing with three different strikers every game and subbing in Osei Wusu in the 60th minute. And so like, it just, they need to pick, you know, one striker, try him out for two games and give this team some kind of a game plan to work with offensively. Cause right now I just don't feel like they have a game plan. And I think that's the major issue. It's either, all right, if we're not winning the ball down the side and you're not going to win it down the side against Greenville, then what, what is your plan? 
And if your go your goal is to develop players, I get it, right? You want to try out different people. You want to maybe sub in different different pieces. But at the same time, chemistry matters, and having familiarity with everyone in the team matters. So, it, you know, if you have eighteen players and you're going to rotate, you know, six of them in the uh, in the field players. You know that that's fine, right? But you want to do it probably a couple of games at a time. You don't want to, yeah. you know, basically switch every single game. Have someone play for three games, and then someone else start for three games, and then sub in the guy three times who's going to play the next three games, so he gets some some minutes and and gets the uh, uh, and gets the game experience. But I, I feel like they're just not doing it right, right? Because you look at TFC two, you look at North Texas, um, you look at FC Tucson, and you know they're doing something right. Obviously, that OCB just isn't. Fun fact, um, Greenville averages about 13 clearances a game before this one. They had four clearances this game. It's just that there's nothing to do. Dallas J had no saves. He had one punch uh, for the whole game, and that was his contribution. To- but when there's four shots and none of them on target, what are you going to so, do? I, yeah, mean, he didn't even, he, I don't even think yeah. he caught a cross. Did he even catch no, a cross? And then he literally had no, he had no catches. No OCB, had, OCB attempted two crosses the whole game. Yeah. So, and that's what I'm saying. So they're Greenville shut down there and that's what they do. Like going down the side, there's no creativity. And I think between that, not had him a creative number 10 or creativity in the midfield and then constantly subbing forwards. Listen, like, like you said, it needs to be at least two games in a row. Give these people a start and have them play the whole game. You're literally taking four different strikers and just subbing them every 60 minutes, and they're not going to develop or form any chemistry doing that. I, I hate what they're doing with that system. So let's turn things back a little bit to Greenville. Um, so a couple of things. One, Bermudez and Gomez, they were both on my sheet, and uh, I ultimately didn't pick them. They were kind of my next people that I would probably would have picked. Um, did we make a mistake not having either of them on our all-star teams? When 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 uh, Gomez especially is hot, that's when Greenville is cooking, right? That's when Jake Keegan gets those attempts. That's when Saul feels more comfortable moving around. Yeah, I think he's he's like Bermudez is always going to do what Bermudez does, right? He's he's great on the ball. He's fast. He's a good defender, and he's going to bring crosses in. But I think Gomez brings a little more opportunity for Greenville and a little more creativity because the one thing Greenville struggled with all year is not finishing their crosses. So when that's not happening, if he's able to then – create something from the midfield, go back and be a box to box or intercept the ball and spring a counter. Now you have different options. Now you have a different offensive ability. So yeah, when he's hot, he's hot. Uh, I just don't know if he's been consistently hot enough this year for me to have included him on my team. Um, But yeah, I think he was definitely, you know, a goal. He scored a goal in the 83rd minute. He was a difference maker in this game for sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and he had that quite frankly, I mean, he had, uh, he didn't quite have the MLS assist, but he started that whole play for the first yep. goal as well. So that that's, you know, he found Bermuda's there in the channel. Um, also, you know, the other thing that I noticed about Greenville this game and, and, you know, I have to go back and remind myself the, the previous game or two, but it looked like Jake Keegan was playing a little bit further behind, right? He was playing more as kind of a number 10 maybe, and, and had more of a free floating option, kind of like a second striker. And while Saul was, uh, more of the yeah. target man in, in in the system, and if you look at the the heat map, you know he was uh, Keegan was kind of both right and left and and up and back. He he definitely fell back a little bit more than he had in previous games when he was the number nine. 
Do you think that that is something that Coach Harks might try going forward as a uh, um, as I mean I I mentioned a couple of weeks ago and I'm not taking any credit for this by the way but but we we mentioned before that Keegan kind of needed a strike partner could mm-hmm. Saul be that strike partner and I, and Keegan be the other guy I think what Keegan does well is draw and you can go back and watch he draws defenders with him and it gives Saul space. And the thing that you don't want to do is give Saul space because I think he's their best shooter. I think he's clinically the best striker on that team. And so that allows him to have the space. And I think what was going on, especially earlier in the year, and Chris used to talk about it, Saul would have to come back further to the midfield to get the ball, and you want him close to the net as possible and getting some kind of space. And so I think, yeah, I think that would be a great strike partnership to be able to have Keegan work those sides, go, you know, intersect in the middle and just draw defenders away so that Saul can make those runs or he can get the ball at the top of the box and let it rip. Yeah. This feels like something that's very, that's very tactical and something that they've worked on as a team. Like this isn't something that is just naturally happened. Like, like this is a tactical adjustment that they made and, and we'll see if it works. When you have players like Cole Seiler who can move up into the midfield and really kind of be that person to stop anything that's countering and Polick, he likes to go up three fourths of the way, but doesn't really commit in the final third so that he can track back and be there to stop anything. I think that gives them the confidence to keep Saul up so that he has those opportunities to strike as opposed to like in the beginning of the year when they were kind of bringing him back towards the midfield to collect the ball. Right. Uh, If we only had time, that sounds like a good deep dive tactics to uh, to, to do. Nerd. Maybe that'll be my next one. Yeah. Um, now that my D license is over and I'm I'm done take doing soccer related uh, uh, training sessions all the time in the digital yeah. coaching center for U.S. soccer, I, I might have some time to do that. Now. Whatever, nerd. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so Jason, any, uh, shall we move on to Chattanooga Red Wolves who scored one against the Richmond kickers? Yeah, let me, let me take a drink. Cause this is not, if you're a Richmond fan, go ahead and then, and go to the bathroom, take yourself a break because I'm, I'm sick of this. this so, is we, so, so one thing to say is, you know, if, if you want to really deep dive into some of this stuff, uh, listen to uh, River City 93 and, and our, our friend Elliot, you know, lament what's going on there. And also the uh, Total Soccer Show's uh, Richmond Kickers Weekly uh, podcast. They, they talk about this a bit as well. Um, you know, Richmond, it, it's, you know, they, they have, they make one mistake. They get scored on in the seventh minute very early on, and then they just are not clinical. I mean, they had no shots on target. They did they did just like OCB. They weren't able to get the ball in very dangerous positions. They had six total shots. Um, most of them were from outside the box. They were low-quality chances. You know, I, I didn't see the expected goal figures, but I'm guessing that, you know, it was probably less than 0.1 uh, expected goals, not very, particularly high. And, you know, Stephen Beattie only needs one chance to score, and he's probably going to put that away if it's a high-quality chance. And uh, his goal was – we can talk about the goal in a minute, but let's let's stick briefly with Richmond so we can, you know, wipe our tears away from our eyes for – um, you know, for Elliot and our other friends down in Richmond. Yeah, second game in a row, no shots on target. I don't, that's all I have to say. You can't put any shots on target. And it's not like they're not possessing. It's not like they're getting the ball and decent chances. They're winning in the midfield. And I'm going to dive more into it when we do bring up the goal, uh, because I think what happened in that goal is absolutely unacceptable. Um, and I think, that's their issue is that Richmond is falling asleep at times and you can't fall asleep 
when you have players in this league as dynamic as they are in this league, you're not going to be able to fall asleep against a Nick Moon. That's what they did against Lansing. You don't fall asleep against Richmond. That's what Beatty's done to them twice now. You don't fall asleep in these situations, and that's what they're doing. Set pieces, falling asleep. It's not – it's just – I don't know if it's something to where they need some kind of a motivation, some kind of a bump, a new player to come in to really just get in there and change you know, the energy in the locker room or what, but – it's just it's exhausting watching this team give up goals the way they give them up. So so to describe the goal, which by the way, this goal started in a very very nice way, right? So yeah. I think at the end there was a defensive breakdown, but in but the, the beginning uh, of this was not a particularly it was all Red Wolves doing good things. So um, so Sessi uh, uh, gets the ball on the left hand side. He he basically does a big switch, plays it on the ground to uh, to Pineda. Pineda just, you know, takes takes the ball onto his left foot and has a 50-yard pinpoint cross that he just basically beats all of the Richmond kickers all the way to the center back. So I think I think it was probably the whole team. You know, if you had a packing stat, it's probably like a seven or an eight. Um, and it ends up on the foot of uh, – r- reminds me who, who – C- Oh, Sione. Yeah, yeah. So, so – yeah, so it ended with Sioni, who uh, Ainscoff was was playing out there. So someone who we've interviewed before uh, on this show, but so so Ainscoff is covering him, playing right back that day uh, because um, Eli Lockerbie was on the other side because Scotty Thompson was injured. So Lockerbie shifted over and was playing on the left side. He didn't have such a bad game, but um, oh. but the fact is is. You, you think you think oh, well, you, did? you finish okay. your you finish your story every every story has two sides you, you well, that, that's side fair enough well what we do know is that Ainscoff got beat to the end line <laughs> by uh by Sioni and then he crosses the ball in and Beatty who's making who's at the far post is making a run cuts in front of remind me who the center back was because it wasn't uh, uh well it, Akwe Akway goes to chase the ball that's coming in on the cross. So he didn't have to really cut in front of anyone. And I'll talk about that in a, in a moment. I th- okay. I, I remember it a little bit differently because I thought he cut in front of someone, but, but anyway, so BD beats the the person who's nominally covering him right. and, just step, and just gets in front of him and he's, he's wide open. But then it, it's within, it seems like it's within arm's reach of, of Fitzgerald. Of course, we don't have a great angle on it because the angle of the camera is kind of from midfield and not from uh, the side of the 18, as you, you'd, uh, which would have been a much better angle. But it looks like Fitzgerald should have been able to come out and, and collect it. He decides not to, maybe because he thinks one of his defenders is going to, and then, um, you know, Beatty's able to, to tap it home. I mean, Beatty, there were... Beatty coll- uh, had a collision with a couple of people while he's finishing this ball, but you know Beatty doesn't care. He's just going to finish it because that's what he does. All right, that was the PG Disney Lion King family friend version. I want to tell you what really happened on this goal and why. Here, come, here really- comes the, the rate, rated R version. Do we need to put an E? Uh, do we yes. need an explicit tag yeah, on our? Rated T- yeah, TVMA. I listen. This is what makes me mad about Richmond. Every team goes through struggles. I get it. But this goal is absolutely insane to me that they allowed. So, yes, you're right. Sissy gets the ball, has a beautiful switch. BD lets it go, and you've got Pineda. Now, I've been talking weeks now, the past three weeks, about how Pineda has been Chattanooga's game changer, right? So he is the person that has been bringing all this offense. Every goal that Richmond seems to be score or Chattanooga seems to be scoring is through Pineda. So Pineda gets the ball. It is him and Beatty next to each other. There are four Richmond players within those two players. Nobody else is around, right? So they form this little box around them. 
No one is within seven yards of Pineda. So, yeah, we're talking about this beautiful 50-yard cross feel, you know, on a dime to Cito. Why does he have so much space and time to even get that cross off when you have four people that are marking two men? Okay? So that's not a problem within so, itself. So you're going right? to tell me then that Eli Lockerbie got caught up because he oh. did, right? Because oh, he was, he he was in, up there in the attack. And- he, he, was, he was watching, literally just watching, and him and Maxi are in between BD and Pineda, Pineda, right? So Pineda crosses the ball. Fine. You didn't close in. You literally gave him seven yards, all four of y'all. So I'm not going to blame anyone individually because all four of them gave him seven yards. And I have a screenshot. I will post it on Twitter because I know y'all don't believe me. I'm not exaggerating. So I, I believe man, it. I remember this, that. I've watched this goal about probably 10, 10 times. So This man crosses the ball. And as soon as he does, BD puts his head down and starts sprinting to get to the middle of the box. Now, when he does this, he's in between Maxi Rodriguez and he's in between Lockerbie, right? Pineda is just sitting there. So Lockerbie is, he has to make the decision to try to follow Beatty or stay with Pineda. That's fine. Maxi Rodriguez, ball watching. Beatty runs and nobody is around him for the whole time that he's running to the box because nobody picked him up. And I don't understand how four people can be marking two men and nobody picks up the most dangerous man on the field running to the box full speed. So yeah, he had a wide open header because Akwe's then he's watching the cross, not paying attention and assuming that Maxi or somebody has picked up BD. Nobody picks him up. And it's, it's him putting his head down. As soon as he starts running, he has 30 yards of uninterrupted running. And then he's just there for an easy header. And Everyone is just standing there for Richmond, and it's just, what are you doing? You cannot have four people marking two men and then allow the most dangerous person to run 30 yards unmarked into a box. It's just, it's laziness, and that's what I'm really pissed off about Richmond because it's one to just have be going through struggles or you're getting bad luck and your shots are hitting the crossbar. You are literally sleeping on the most dangerous man on the field right then and giving the most creative player on the field all the time and space he needs to make those plays happen. Pineda with four chances created. Again, like I said, the reason why Chattanooga probably is having such a, you know, offensive power that they've been having the past five games. I'm just, I'm sick. I'm sick. Yeah. And, you know, again, they had uh, the Richmond kickers had 59% possession, you know, again, uh, 20 crosses only had uh, six total shots and none on target. Um, and, you know, letting up a goal in the seventh minute means that you're chasing them the whole time. So, and Chattanooga, I think is, you know, they, they, they've tightened up their defense enough that they're, you know, happy to let the other teams have the ball. Um, so they're not, uh, they're, they're not playing that they're, they don't necessarily need the ball in order to win games and see them out. So, all right, so that was your spicy take of the of the show, I suppose. I, I guess. I mean, it's just it's sad. Shout out to Connor Doyle though again. Uh, underappreciated, doing the dirty work. Four tackles, three clearances, two interceptions, and winning duels like crazy. Won eight of ten this week. Didn't lose any aerial duels. He is a very important person to them of being able to retain that possession, so that Pineda can then have you know, 20 yards of open free space to send in a perfect cross because nobody feels like marking anybody. 
yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give a little shout out to Eli Lockerbie. I know you you know you think on the goal he didn't do great, but the rest of the game I thought he he did pretty well. He had 53 total passes, 89% passing accuracy. A lot of those on uh, you know in the offensive half. Um, he won six out of ten duels, and uh, he did have a chance created. So you know he was I don't want to say a bright spot, but he certainly you know gave it gave it a uh, gave it a good try there. Uh, meanwhile, Joe Gallardo did almost nothing in this game. Um, so he, uh, yeah, the Red Wolves did a really, really good job shutting him down in the midfield. And, you know, without him creating one-on-one, you noted in our show yesterday when we were doing the draft, um, that Joe was very good one-on-one, but he didn't necessarily have some of the other skills. I mean, the fact that he only had 29 passes, he only won four out of nine duels. Uh, I mean, that's, that's not a superstar performance from, uh, from Joe on the day. So I, I think, uh, I think coach has to, uh, you know, maybe be. I don't know about rethinking everything, but certainly has to uh, has to take into consideration. You know, he, needs to, he needs to make them watch that goal over and over again. I, I just I don't understand how that happens. I don't understand four people marking two guys and none of them got picked up. So so the, in this game, if memory serves, there was no Shinovsky, right, and there was no Scotty Thompson on the back yep. line, right. So could could it be partially that it was just you know veteran presence? You have a somewhat rotated lineup. I mean, I mean that could be part of it too. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't want to belabor this, but it's, yeah, I just I I don't know. I mean, you're right. Like, and then I know uh, Troyer came in later. Chin came in later in the second half, but it's just like it shouldn't take a. Um, veteran to tell people to hey you should probably follow the guy that's the most dangerous player yeah. on the <laughs> follow the leading score of the other team right yeah okay we're moving on the next match was north texas uh scored three goals against lansing ignites one it was uh colin montgomery in the 57th arturo rodriguez for north texas in the 71st and then ronaldo damas in the 73rd and uh uh is it, it Pato? I know I'm gonna I'm gonna get yelled at. For Pato, me. baby. Yeah, Pato Faz. He uh, he scored in the 83rd to uh, to at least get Lansing on the score sheet. They they didn't give up. Uh, Celso had the assist on that one. Um, do we want to go through all the goals? I mean, I mean, Jonathan Gomez. I don't want to say he played out of his mind, but he had a great game. Yeah. Um, he had the, the probably the best game. I mean, one one thing is I think sometimes he gets overshadowed because when Arturo Rodriguez and his brother David are both out there together, they just have such a chemistry that I think even when Gomez happens to be on the field on, on the left wing, he's not always he just not as noticeable, right? Yeah. Um, but in this game, he was he did a great job uh, connecting play, getting a lot of passes. Arturo Rodriguez again a goal and an assist in this game as well. So hard to uh, um, you know hard to differentiate, and of course. Ronaldo Damas, he gets player of the week. I mean, should it have been Arturo or Jonathan Gomez? I mean, maybe. (laughs) Sure. Like I said, like you, you can literally just choose a random player from North Texas and look at their stats and they probably had a great game. So, Um, so Colin Montgomery, one of the defender up for, for a free kick in the, uh, in the 57th minute. So, so let's talk about the two halves, right? Because the first half of this game was, I don't want to say it was boring. Um, but I think it was much more even than it ended up being. Oh, yeah. I don't think it was boring at all. I think it yeah, was. Lansing, Lansing had their chances. And for my money, yeah. Lansing probably had had the more dangerous chances for sure. Yeah. And, and, and 
and North Texas was was sitting back a little bit too much. You know, North Texas usually has that mid block. They they want to win the ball like like right around maybe maybe ten yards into their uh, offensive half, and then go at the opposition with pace. Right. That that is often how they um, how they break and uh, and try and uh, and try and play. And in this game, that wasn't working. Lansing was just better. Right, Lansing was just better in the first half in in basically passing around that. They had uh, they had a lot of long passes. They, you know, Lansing even had eighteen crosses. Guess what? Six of them were successful. Jason, yeah. they actually had six successful crosses, and I believe four of them were in the first half. So they they had their their chances in the box, um, and you know, five shots on target. I, I'm pretty sure three of them were in the first half as well. So, uh, you know, just a, just Lansing, what happened to Lansing then in the second half or what adjustments did North Texas make that was different from the first half to the second half? Well, first and foremost, Lansing should be ashamed of themselves for not starting Celso. Yeah, he's coming off of two great games. He's a player that spreads the field, changes the way the defenders have to play. Um, so I don't understand why uh, Rafa started. And as great as Rafa was at directing traffic and creating a couple chances, he had two great opportunities to where his touch failed him in the box. And I'm not saying Celso finishes it, but at the same time, you know, it's, it's those things that make a difference, right? So Alex Bruce for, you know, for what he did, he, he was passing extremely well. And I think it was like in the first, you know, seven minutes or something, he had a through ball to Rafa who just misses it and would have been one-on-one and through for the keeper. Um, and, you know, Koifik, I think was a big part of Lansing, you know, kind of not doing well in the second half. I think in the first half he was great. Uh, he had stopped Damas um, with a last minute tackle, which in the ninth minute, which would have led to one-on-one in the goal. Um, and yeah, I think that the second half, you know, that, that North Texas buildup just really got to them. Um, so when you watch that second goal, right, Arturo Rodriguez has the ball literally in the middle of the field. He's on the 50-yard line, sends a great ball down the side, and then just puts his head down and sprints in the middle, and nobody picks him up. And so he runs through about three people, and then the cross comes into him in the top of the box, and he's wide open for an easy finish. And that's the kind of the, – the defense is just falling apart there. Quite frankly, I'm not sure it was such an easy finish. I mean, he was a one-time oh, yeah. across his body at, in, inside it, the D. So wide with two players right in front of him. But, yeah, there was no one within three or four yards of him. Either. Yeah, and, and nobody picked him up. And so when you have that whole time to run and focus – like you have someone bump you, it changes your, your projectile of how you're running, how you're going to set up your shot. He wouldn't be able to set up and finish the way he did. Had someone just knocked him off his path. Right. I think in that, in that goal, that was the second goal. I think everyone thought that Gomez was going to hit it across because the uh, Ronaldo Damas and Christian Coleman were making runs, both uh, Coleman to the near post, Damas to the far post. And I think they thought that he was going to be a low hard cross into one of them. And so they kept on dropping back and no, and there, I, I think there were enough defenders. I think it was a four on four, oh, yeah. basically. But no one stepped to. I think you're right. No one stepped to Rodriguez in that case. And, Nobody and, picked him up. Yeah, and, no, no one picked and, him up at all. And, and it was a great run from Rodriguez oh, yeah. too, right? Because because he had to make up probably 20 yards to get there. Yeah. Um, so he was he was on his horse yeah. uh, for sure. But yeah, the fact that nobody, like I said, just bump him off of his run, right? And now you changed 
where he's getting the ball and how he's setting up. And now all of a, it's a little more difficult. Yeah. Or you make him slow down, right? I yeah. mean, if you're standing right in front of him, he's not going to shoot. He'll probably, you know, turn around and pass it back to Tessman or whoever was coming up behind. Um, I like how you brought up Coleman though, because I thought he played extremely well. And I thought he did a great job of drawing defenders and spreading the field. Uh, so three North Texas players had three key passes. Uh, they had 13 overall. He was one of them. And I think he did a great job. And like you said, like, so when Arturo's that wide open, it's because people are following Coleman, who was directing traffic through that whole second half before he got subbed off. Um, so I think he played a great game. And I think that's a part of why Arturo had that, you know, space and had that time to, you know, one touch and have that shot. Yeah. Um, right. one, thing, one thing I do want to talk about too, though. So when we were talking about the defense, the, the first goal, you know, uh, Koifik loses his man, and I wanted to give a shout-out to Damas because that's why Damas is one of the best players in this league. It's not just him finishing. He makes a run and then gets up and heads the ball, which then allows for North Texas to score off of that set piece. And then that third goal, and it's debatable. I don't. I was going to bring up what you thought, if it was offside or onside. But my theory behind this is, look, you know, we, we know this league doesn't have VAR. You know, you know, when it's close calls like that, when it's extremely oh, you, you close, have to play, you have to play, you have to play it. Yeah. yeah and I, I think, yeah. I think, you know, in, in Koifik, lost oh, and, and this, and this happened in the Richmond game too, right? On that goal, you had, uh, what, who, one of the, one of the center backs that put his hand up and didn't run, right? He just didn't try to get back yeah. and, you know, don't do that. Just play and the whistle. And then I mean, look, these are things I told my eight year olds. Yeah. And look what happened right after. Uh, Cleveland gets a yellow for discontent, for discontent, right? Like exactly. whatever he says. And then Coach Nate Miller now is missing the next game because he's cursing out the ref or whatever he's saying to the referee, and he loses his cool. Nick Moon gets a yellow because he's pushing somebody now. And you're not – I mean, obviously the game was over at that point, but it's just like at that point, you know, it's just you're not going to be better moving forward if you keep losing your cool in games like this. You're not learning from that. And on third goals, that is going to be three now. Like. Yeah. Uh, you oh, you're know, doing if, if this was if it was one one and that was going to be the winning goal or something like that, yeah. it's one thing to you know try and say, hey, you know, you guys have to you know wake up or whatever. Um, and in fairness, you, you know, being a referee now, granted, I don't I don't referee at this level, but if I referee a U eighteen or a U twenty three game, I mean, these are college kids, right? These are well, <laughs> North Texas's case, a lot of most of them are younger, but uh, you know, but the athleticism, it's it's you know. Yes. Will you get every single call right? No, there's no way. But you try to do your best and you call the game you see. And if they thought that he wasn't offside, he wasn't offside. It's that simple. Yeah, so, I just I just don't like and, you know, the, the Nick Moon thing, for instance, that happened, you know, before the third goal and all, all that good stuff. But like, you know, just losing your temper and hurting your team. Right. So I think now Nick Moon is one more yellow away from a suspension. Or uh, I don't remember. We did get the yeah. we did get the report today. There were five players on it. So so, uh, he so if he if he you know, he's their most important player on the field, right? And then if for them to lose him because he's getting mad and pushing people, and they know that they have a, to play this weekend and they have to turn around and play forward on Tuesday, it's just it's it's not it's stupid. It, right. It's dumb, and you're hurting the whole team. So let's move on a little bit. I just have one more question on this game. What do you think about Ronaldo Damas doing the CR7 celebration? Listen, it's his namesake. I like it. I'm not the huge, uh, hugest Ronaldo fan from a personality standpoint, but 
you know, if that's if that's who he looks up to from a game perspective and he shares the name, yeah, I'm all about it. <laughs> and he's scoring about as much as the I know that third, that third one though was a little more exaggerated than the other ones. He's usually pretty good at exaggerating them, but I think that third one was a little bit of a shove and be like, Yeah, you you like that, don't you? Because he, he in that third goal, he credit to him, he comes he he makes the run. The pass doesn't come, so he circles back and holds his run, and Koifik doesn't know where he's at. So then when the ball is passed, Koifik looks over his shoulder to make sure that Damas isn't there, and he goes, oh, well, Damas is ahead of me, so he must be offside, and he just holds his yeah. hand up. Well, I think that's what so – what, so what I saw there was when Gomez got the ball, right, so, so Damas was offside, and he, but he had his hand up and said, hey, put me through now. And Gomez smartly said – you, you might not be on side, so I'm going to take an extra touch. Takes two touches. As he's doing that, Damus does that run you're talking about, and that puts him back on side. Yep. Right? So he, I, I'm pretty sure he was on side when that happened. I mean, I understand why, you know, the, the, the Lancer guys were upset, but they yeah. – yeah, you know, on you look at the replay, and I very much doubt that he was offside. And, and I might be, you know, in the minority of this, but I think that's a skill to be able to time your runs to where if it is too close for a ref to call, right? Like you can you can do that. Like leave it up to somebody else to make that decision and leave it up to the why, defender to go. Why, have to go Jordan, out. why does Jordan Perusa on TFC rarely get called for offside? Because when he is offside, he's always checking back for the ball. Right. So that's why he's rarely, if ever, called offside. Um, and, you know, obviously the, the last three, uh, <laughs> the last three home games for them, I, I don't think he's been called offside at all. But he, uh, you know, clearly, clearly that is a skill and that's soccer IQ. And that is something you can teach, but you also have something you have to practice. Right. right. So, um, so, so clearly, uh, you know, Coach Quill's doing a great job with, with those, as are the guys up in Toronto. So where do we stand? North Texas SC still at the top of the table, 2.23 points per game with uh, South Georgia Tormenta, not too far behind them at uh, 2.08 points per game. And then the next seven, to me, next, uh, what is it? Six teams. The next six teams are very close. Uh, Chattanooga Red Wolves in third with 1.62 points per game, down to uh, FC Tucson and forward Madison with 1.15 points per game. Uh, so if the TFC were to lose uh, their next game and either Lansing or Greenville were to win, then the Lansing or Greenville would actually jump uh, TFC into that four spot on points per game, uh, but it would be super duper tight. And uh, if if uh, TFC were to get a tie, uh, then they would remain in fourth place on points per game. And Richmond and OCB both have less than one point per game. Yeah, that fourth spot. I'm telling you, it's it's going to come down to the the last week or two. Well, and here's the thing: if if the Red Wolves lose and TFC were to win. Then TFC actually on points per game. I if they're not, I, I I ran the numbers now. I don't remember, but they would be super close. It, it'd actually basically be a virtual tie for for third. So um, so there's a lot of permutations here. So I would say it's not only that four spot; it's also the third spot, quite frankly. Um, but uh, South Georgia and North Texas would have to lose a whole lot of games from now until the playoffs to be below the line. Right. Um, they haven't clinched yet. I'm looking at that too. They'll. they'll I, I think. I think they each need like. I think 15 points or something like that. Um, so, which is not too many, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, this I, is this is pretty much it. It looks like it's going to come down to 
who's going to be the away teams in the playoffs. I think right. we've yeah. got the two home teams solidified. Yeah, and it's possible. I mean, and Tormenta clearly can make a push uh, to beat North Texas. I mean, they're not that far behind. I mean, North Texas, you know, loses two, and Tormenta gets a win and a draw, and they, they would be right there. And and a lot of, you know, some people might question Tormenta's offense just because the games they are winning are 1-0 or 2-1. I just think their defense so solid, that's all they need to do, right? It's the same with Chattanooga. Yeah. I mean, it's the same with Greenville. Defenses are going to win you games in this league. So as long as you can put a goal or two, and I think that Tormenta has too many talented offensive players to not be able to do that. So I think those two teams right now are solidifying their top spots. And right now, third and fourth is anybody's race. All right. Uh, So coming up uh, tonight, um, as we record on Wednesday night, it's FC Tucson is hosting TFC 2. Uh, Saturday, Chattanooga Red Wolves face off at 7 p.m. Eastern time against uh, uh, against Lansing Ignite. Head coach Nate Miller will be suspended for getting kicked out of that game that we just talked about. South Georgia Tormenta plays at uh, Forward Madison. Excuse me, doesn't play at. It plays Forward Madison uh, at 8 o'clock. And then on Sunday, North Texas faces off against Greenville at 9.45 p.m. Eastern time. So that would be 8.45 Central. Uh, is that after an FC Dallas game? I would. Is that a double hit? I would. I would, assume, I would assume. Yeah, that would yeah. make sense. Right. So hopefully they'll have a nice crowd there for uh, to watch the watch the kids for North Texas. I used to love going to Red Bull two games and when they played at Red Bull Arena after Red Bull games on Tuesday night at seven p.m. Eastern time is Lansing versus Forward Madison and. Oh, really? Wednesday is OCB versus Chattanooga. So, uh, so we, so it was suggested to us that we preview some of these games a little bit more. Maybe you know going through all of them would be too much, but let's let's each pick one to go into a little bit of detail with, like what we hope to see, what we think has to happen. Um, you know, I noticed that in this whole week, Richmond is not playing. They have a friendly that they're going to be playing um, at on the ninth, I think. So their next match isn't until uh, until the following weekend, until the thirteenth. Probably what they need. So yeah, exactly. Um, They'll have a good good week of uh, good week of training to to get ready. So Jason, which which match do you want to uh, preview in a little bit more detail than we usually do? Yeah. So my preview isn't all the way until Tuesday's matchup, but I want to preview Lansing and Madison. And the reason why I want to preview this is because I think that this is going to be a game to whoever wins this game might make the playoff and whoever doesn't win this game probably won't. And I think because when you look, Lansing has to go to Chattanooga this weekend, right? And they don't have their coach. And Chattanooga doesn't doesn't lose at home. Yeah. Yeah, They just, they don't lose at home. And so if Lansing, you know, doesn't get a point here uh, and then they go to Madison and don't get a point, it's going to be, I mean, they probably, they're getting jumped, right. Especially when TFC is playing teams like Tucson and North Texas is playing home. Torment is playing home this week. I, I think that's a, that, you know, it's early in the season to say it, but that might be a do or die game for both of those teams, just because, you know, the, if Chattanooga continues their run. And I think that because FC Tucson has like eight of their last 10 games at home this season, I'm expecting them to bring in some points towards the end of the year. I, I think it's a big game. And I think without having coach Nate Miller in Chattanooga, it, it's important, right? What do you do? You know, when, when you're talking about chasing a goal, like, are you starting Celso? If not, do you bring him in as a sub? Or if Reese is doing well with offense, but not defensively, do you take him out for Hollingsworth? It's just, there's so many different things. And I think that 
you know, a lot of Lansing fans, they're kind of in cruise control right now. But this is something that should be worrisome. If they don't come out with at least a point from this weekend, they're going to be in a lot of trouble. So so let's do each team just uh, just about a minute or two, Jason. I'm going to get your opinion on this. What does Lansing have to do to beat Madison? They have (laughs) they have to not allow Madison to open up. And so I think they need to press. They do not need to allow Madison to have the open field to where they can run in stride. They don't need to allow the space to give Connor Manley those passes down the side to Don Smart. I think that they need to take away as much timing on the ball from Ford as they can. Um, and I think that's how they're going to have to do it. So I would put Celso up top. I'd put Nick Moon up top. I'd put Alex Bruce and I'd press, press, press. And then maybe you bring in Pato in the second half of the tired legs to try to score late or maybe bring in Toomey you know, for someone and I would press, I would press and get at them. I would not give them any chance to open the field. So I I agree that I think they probably need to press. The other thing I think they need to do is figure out a way to man up on Don Smart and Paolo Jr. or uh, whoever else is on the left-hand side Um, that, you know, basically don't give, don't give Madison the channels. They're too dangerous down the channels to to do that. So make sure you have those covered. So don't push up your your backs or play three in the back and then have, um, you know, have your, um, you can have your wingers press up or, or your, your wingbacks press up, but make sure that you have that solidity in, in the back to cover those, uh, th- those wide, that wide play. Uh, what does forward Madison then have to do, Jason, in order to beat Lansing? Send in Danny Tenario to beat that back line. I think Lansing's weakness right now is their back line is slow and they're playing in a system where there's only three of them back there and they you're depend a lot the Grant, on You're trying to say that Grant Soneman gets yellow cards because he gets beat for pace? Oh, of course not. I would never say such a thing like that. I would never call that man a turtle. Um, but yeah, so if you can find a player, I know Eaton likes to take the ball kind of at the top of the box and dribble in. So that's why I kind of like Tenario to kind of try to sneak past them and try to make those runs. Uh, you saw Damas got away from Koifik twice last week from this, both on a set piece and just on a regular you know, offensive possession. So I think that's what Ford needs to do is instead of trying to work the sides too, too much, try to have Paulo and Don send those balls from the side into the middle and try to get a through ball into Tenario or whoever you put up top. And uh, so that went a little bit longer, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. Next time, maybe we should uh, make sure that we actually okay. maybe pick one or two games and we, uh, we do previews for the next time. If you <laughs> like that, uh, or you didn't let us know. And, uh, you know, we're trying to make this podcast as user-friendly for our listeners as possible. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's fun stuff. We'll make sure that we, uh, we do another highlight next week, uh, of two, one or two of the matches that are coming upcoming. So USL came out with their, uh, mid season awards. Uh, these mid season awards were up for vote from the public, the, the semifinalists, I guess the, the league picked, uh, but the mid season MVP went to Don smart. And I have a note here to myself that says, yep. What do you mm-hmm. think? I think that's Ford, Atlanta, Madison United. I don't, I, I think, you know, the, this is a fan vote and it's an obvious fan vote because it definitely is not Don Smart. And that's not a shot at Don Smart. Ooh. I think he's been the best player probably in the past. Month, but Arturo Rodriguez has been the most consistent yeah. player 
every time he stepped on the field and has beaten Don Smart pretty much in every stat line. So yeah, nah. I, I guess I guess from I guess the way that I did it, and I, I happen I did vote for Don Smart. I have to admit, maybe a little bit of that was recency bias, but but one of the reasons is because would forward Madison have the points that they have without Don Smart? And that's, that's the true. An, the answer is probably not. Whereas if a Toro Rodriguez wasn't there and you had, you know, you had Tessman and David Rodriguez and Pepe and Ronaldo Damas, would North Texas still be at the top of the table? If not at the top, they'd probably be second. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, so, so when I, I think, you know, best player and the most valuable player could be two different things. And right. I, so you know anyway. what? You know what? I like that. I, you know, you, you changed, changed my thought. I still would go to Arturo just because I do think that Don is not the center of the team. He's the center of their attack. Right. Whereas Arturo is the center of that team. Arturo doesn't. Yeah, that team is basically built around him. Yeah. Yes. He, Cause he, he, it's not like he's just sitting there offensively. He comes back, gets the ball. He leads the team and tackles. I think it's just, he's, he's incredible. So I think because of that, he's the center of that team. And when I look at MVPs, I think, like you said, I think they'd still be good, but they wouldn't be the team that they are without him. Yeah. That's fair. Um, for coach was Eric Quill. Okay. Yeah. Sure. I don't have a <laughs> okay. Uh, defender, Connor Antley. I, I still su- suggest that Connor Antley is not a defender. <laughs> Connor Antley is a winner, and his defensive duties are incidental to his attacking. I, I, I give him a defender because even though. Wait, wait, so so here, here's the thing that I had, the problem that I had with this. And, you know, hey, like USL, we love USL League One, we, we love everyone at the home office. But when you look at the defender of the uh, you know midseason defender awards and you watch the highlights, they're almost all attacking highlights. Yeah, it's yeah. not Kevin Pollitt's like doing a great recovery run and slide tackling someone, <laughs> which by the way he's done. Right. You know, so, <laughs> you know it's not. It, you know, so anyway, they're not defensive efforts, right? Yeah. So we're you know, so you're giving someone to vote. Hey, which of these goals from one of these outside backs did you like the best? I mean, come on, that's, that's but, not, but, that's but, not so, defending. Twenty-four clearances and twenty-one interceptions is nothing to fret about. Connor does do it defensively, and I, I think I know, I know he does. I'm, I, but but I think I think what makes him like yeah we're they're showing the highlights of him offensive but I think he only has that offensive because of the defensive work he does because like we were saying with his three assists it's usually him intercepting the ball getting up and then the being the one starting that counter attack and being the one ultimately either finishing the ball himself or crossing it into someone having the assist so I think that's what makes him so important defensively yeah no I don't I don't completely disagree I just I think from from a pure defensive yeah, give me who who you'd have. Well, you know, I would go. I just named him. I mean, Kevin Politz. I mean, you know, he he's a potential. He's a you know, basically, a, when I think of a, a defender, quote unquote defender, I always think of a, like a center back, right, as opposed to you know someone else. I mean, or or Ualfe, right? If you want a defender, go with a D mid, right? Go with a defensive midfielder like Ualfe, who um, you know is one of my favorite players. But of yes. course, I'm also. Funny you mentioned Kevin Politz because you didn't mention him last night for your All Star team. But, uh, no, I, I no, I didn't because I picked uh, because I picked Kyle Ventner and uh, um, uh, and, and Phelps. Oh well, Phelps is another one. Like Phelps, like you know. So so here, so so Politz was what, by the way my number three. But you know, Ventner and and Phelps. You know, these are all guys who are pure defenders, right? Like like yes, you know, Ventner has a couple of goals because he went up on set pieces. But generally speaking, those are the pure defenders. Whereas you know Connor Antley, and you know I mean just the way the modern game is played, right? Right and left backs are wing backs, right? So they're uh, they 
they're basically two-way players as opposed to as opposed to having a, a more singular focus like a center back. Yeah. All right. So here's the one. Uh, well, let's go to young player Perusa. Okay. Yeah, I'm cool with yeah, that. That's fine. It's either him or Ronaldo Davis probably, and yeah. you know, and and the fans voted for Perusa. Uh, but goalkeeper. Yeah. What do we think about this? Pablo Jara, who great goalkeeper. He's done some good stuff. He has had some spectacular saves for sure. But best best goalkeeper in the first half of the year? Yeah, I don't know how I mean, I don't know in the great words of Matt Doyle, are you watching the game or are you just looking at the stats? Uh, because there's no way that anyone who watches this league, you know, shouldn't I mean there's a couple of course people who who don't, but if you watch this league, you should know that. Alex Mangles is the best keeper in this league. And it's not even, I mean, it's close, but it's not that close. Right. It's just, I mean, I, Ahara has faced the least amount of shots. I'm pretty sure of all the goalkeepers in the league. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, that's one of the I, things I like, like having the most clean sheets does not make you the best goalkeeper. Exactly. It means that's that you have the best that's defense that's in front of you. Defense. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm going to give it to the person who has saved their team week after week after week. And like I said, in our all-star show, Chattanooga would be a bottom two team had it not been for Alex. So easily my keeper of, I'll even say the year, unless he has yeah. a complete meltdown. Yeah. And just, and just to, just to make you feel bad, it was David Goss who said that on uh, oh, okay. radio, you know, yeah. um, and uh, one of my favorite quotes ever, by the oh, way. Yeah. My oh, son, my son and I say it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so Jason, um, you know, the, the U S men's national team match is actually already kicked off. I don't want to know the score. Okay. Um, so do we have any fan questions before we before we get out of here? Uh, I brought up the one about the offside at uh, Toronto, and I think that was it. Um, okay. So, yeah, I think we're good to go. Excellent. Well, in that case, Jason, where can people connect with you? Uh, you can find me at Home Sweet Soccer. I do want to bring up, I did forget, um, shout out. Uh, so Bobby Mitchell brought up today, um, and we didn't talk about him on the All-Star show, uh, Zagoro. Oh yeah, Zagoro. Yeah. So he was he Definitely. was on my list. He was my other my other left back. Yeah, I think I think with Zagoro, probably the the prettiest passer in the league when his passes connect and those assists are absolutely beautiful. It's just not consistent enough. So when you compare him to Antley and Pollock and all those other defenders, he doesn't have the passing accuracy in the opponent's half that they do, and he doesn't do as much of the defensive work. Uh, winning duels in the middle. He kind of wins the interceptions and the clearances, but, you know, he, Pollock, Antley all have better duels, won percentages and have played a lot more duels than him. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, he, look, the fact is he's a starter in this league and he probably should be, but is, you know, are there two or three players ahead of him? Probably. Yeah. That's, that's kind of where it is. So it's not that he's not worthy. He's just. Right. But I I thought that was a good shout from Bobby. And so I wanted to bring that up because he, he is someone that has been very good this year. So Jason can be found at home sweet soccer. I can be found at, at Ira Jersey on Twitter. Thank you for listening. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts and check out BGN.FM for other great soccer podcasts and written content covering USL League One, USL Championship, USL League Two, NWSL, Major League Soccer, and more. Thanks to our sponsor, Golden Gold Press, the best choice to get your custom shirts, hats, mugs, and other items for yourself or your organization. Check out their amazing products at a fraction of the price of other places at goldengoldpress.com. And thanks to Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier of Major League Soccer, United Soccer Leagues, and U.S. Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Jason, I will talk to you next week. Yeah. 
I mean, I've been talking to you more than I've been talking to my grandma. I should probably give her a call and see how she's doing. That reminds me. I better call my mother. 